Hey y'all, and welcome to Least of These. We're still in the process of moving, and I thought I'd be able to get an episode out this week, but I clearly overestimated my abilities by a lot. However, I do have something special for you today. My BFF, some of y'all may know her. She's the one and only Heather Ashley at Big Mad True Crime, and she has gifted us an episode. It's a case that I've been following since the news broke that five-year-old Haley Cummings vanished from her home in February of 2009. So without further ado, let's join Heather as she tells us the story of Haley Cummings in Satsuma, Florida. Hey everyone, and welcome back to Big Mad True Crime, where we get big mad over true crime. I'm your host, Heather Ashley, and today's case is out of Satsuma, Florida. Small talk sucks, so let's dive in. From the moment Haley Ann Marie Cummings was born on August 17, 2003, she was loved and adored by her parents, Ron Cummings and Crystal Sheffield. They just could not get enough of Haley's blonde curls, brown eyes, and megawatt smile. When this girl smiled, her entire face did. Her eyes lit up, and it felt like a smile that came from her soul. When it comes to Haley's story, it's important to note a couple of things. Her parents were really young when they had her. Ron was 19 and Crystal was 18, and they both had some issues with drug abuse. Ron had been arrested twice, once for threatening to kill a man at a stoplight and once for drug possession. Despite their issues with the above, there's little doubt that Ron and Crystal loved Haley. They showered her with affection. It wasn't long after Haley's birth that she and her dad became inseparable. She was a daddy's girl through and through, and the two went everywhere together. 18 months after Haley was born, Ron and Crystal welcomed a son. Haley proudly took on the role of being an older sister. I mean, she was loving, thoughtful, and caring, everything you'd want your oldest child to be. Because of that, it wasn't long before they started calling Haley Little Mama because she was always taking care of her brother. The same year Haley's brother was born, Ron and Crystal separated. Almost immediately, they started fighting over custody of their two children. The Florida Times Union reported that Ron argued in court that Crystal used cocaine and wasn't responsible enough to care for their children. In turn, Crystal argued that Ron was a known drug dealer and was a violent and impulsive man. In the end, the judge awarded Ron full custody because his job could possibly lead to benefits like health insurance for the kids. The judge felt that possibility was better than Crystal's job situation, which was nothing at the time. Following the separation, Crystal moved north to her mother's farm in Baker County, Florida, and accepted her visitation schedule. Every other weekend, she was looking forward to seeing her kids. Ron and the children settled in Setsuma, Florida, a small town around 100 miles south of the Florida-Georgia border, and roughly a two-hour drive from Crystal. They lived in Hermit's Cove, a cute little neighborhood of ranch houses and palm trees right up against the St. John's River. The Associated Press described the home as being hidden beneath towering trees at the end of Green Street, a sparsely populated rural dirt street. However, looking at the map, it looks like it's Green Lane, and while it's definitely a less populated street than the rest of the neighborhood, houses littered the area just one block north. As far as Ron's house, it looks like it was in the middle of a clearing surrounded by dense woods. 
There was a huge yard for the kids to play in, and if they wanted to go to the river, they only had to walk about 400 yards. Granted, they'd be walking through some pretty thick woods. Over the next few years, Ron raised Haley and her brother as a single father. While Ron had been in trouble with the law in the past, damn near everyone who knew him, including investigators, said he was a doting father. He truly cared about his children and only wanted the best for them. In the fall of 2008, Haley started kindergarten. She was going to Browning Pierce Elementary School, and at that point in her life, she was in full-blown girly mode. She loved makeup, nail polish, purses, and all the other girly things. She also loved herself some mac and cheese. A few months into the school year, 25-year-old Ron was picking Haley up at her bus stop when he met a 17-year-old girl named Misty Croslin. And yes, we all just took a peek into the future and cringed. Misty didn't have any kids of her own, but her nephew got dropped off at the same bus stop as Haley. Now, Misty was not your typical 17-year-old girl. Frankly, most of her life hadn't been typical at all. The Florida Times Union reported that in the sixth grade, she started skipping school and she did it often. The following year, in seventh grade, she stopped going altogether. When Misty was 15 years old, she ran away from home. Her parents worked for months to track her down, and when they found her, she was living with a boyfriend in a different state. Following her stint as a missing person, Misty moved back in with her parents in Putnam County, Florida, but it didn't seem to change much. It wasn't long before she started hanging out with a group of girls who used drugs. Not long after that, Misty was also using them. Misty's parents tried to get her to distance herself from her wrong crowd friends, but had no luck. In fact, according to her parents, she upped the ante and wound up being the wildest one of the group. And that is where Misty's life was at when she met Ron Cummings in the fall of 2008. And because What Were You Thinking was on sale, Misty started babysitting Ron's kids, both Haley and her younger brother. Ron's grandmother told the Florida Times Union that the children adored Misty and she seemed to adore them back. Misty said that the children considered her to be their mother and eventually Misty and Ron started dating. It feels icky and it is icky. On January 31st and February 1st of 2009, Haley and her brother spent the weekend with their mom, Crystal. The following weekend, February 7th and 8th, the children were supposed to be with Misty while Ron worked the second shift at a bridge manufacturing company. But that's not what happened. Before the weekend began, Misty and Ron got into an argument and Misty left. According to the Florida Times Union, Misty went on a drinking, drugs, and sex bender at a friend's house that weekend. Ron was obviously pretty pissed about this because he had to work and he depended on Misty for childcare. And that honestly feels like the least of his worries when it comes to his teenage girlfriend drinking, doing drugs, and having sex, but we are where we are. With no one to watch the kids, Ron ended up asking his grandmother to take care of them. Naturally, she said yes, because what great-grandma doesn't want to spend all of her time with her great-grandbabies? Throughout that weekend, Ron tried to get a hold of Misty, but she wouldn't answer her phone. And whenever he went to her friend's house, he was told he couldn't see Misty. He got so annoyed with the situation that he rounded up all of her clothes and threw them in the friend's yard. 
On Monday, February 9th, Haley went to kindergarten as usual. When the school day was over, Ron picked her up at the bus stop and they went back home. At some point, Misty decided it was time to come home too. In the early evening hours, Ron headed off to work, leaving the kids with Misty. What happened after Ron left is unclear. There are only a few things we know as fact. The Florida Times Union reported that while Ron was at work, he tried calling Misty 20 times to check on the kids, but she never answered once. So at around 8.45 p.m., Ron called Misty's brother Tommy to see if he'd drive by the house and see if Misty was there with the children. Because, I mean, why wouldn't she be? Now, there are two stories as to what happened with Tommy. It seems like he did drive over to the Cummings' house. Beyond that, it's unclear exactly what happened. At first, Tommy said he went over to the house around an hour after Ron called, so 9.45 p.m. He said that he and Misty smoked a joint on the porch, and then he left. Very responsible shit. However, Tommy later changed his story and said that when he went by the house, he didn't see Misty or the kids. All the lights were off, he banged on the door but didn't get an answer, so he left. This was a jointless, contactless version of events. If we're believing the second telling, it's possible Misty wasn't home at around 9.45 p.m. Though we don't know if Missy was home at 9.45 p.m., we do know that she was home at around 7.30, because that's when Ron's grandmother stopped by with some clothes the kids had left at her place. When she was there, Misty, Haley, and Haley's little brother were on the porch eating. What happened after dinner on that porch, no one knows. The next thing we know for a fact is that Ron got off work at 3 a.m., he hopped in his car and got home about 25 minutes later. At 3.25 a.m., you'd assume you're going to walk into a silent house, but instead, Misty was awake and in a panic, saying she couldn't find Haley. Ron immediately started searching for his daughter, and at 3.27 a.m., Misty called the police. She told the dispatcher, I just woke up and our back door is wide open and I can't find my daughter. The dispatcher proceeded to ask Misty questions while Ron searched for Haley. The dispatcher could hear him yelling for her. The dispatcher could also hear him ask Misty how she allowed someone to steal Haley. From the very beginning, Ron refused to believe Haley had simply gotten out of bed and walked away. She was terrified of the dark and never would have left the house. While the dispatcher continued asking Misty questions about Haley, like what she had been wearing when Misty last saw her, Misty said she was wearing pajamas. However, the dispatcher's questions were cut off when Ron got on the phone and said, I need somebody to get here now. I just got home from work. My five-year-old daughter is gone. I need somebody to get here now. I'm telling you, if I find whoever has my daughter before you do, I will kill them. I don't care if I spend the rest of my life in prison. You can put that on recording. I don't care. The dispatcher assured him that deputies were on the way. Once Ron knew police were on their way, the call ended. The dispatcher called back and Ron just reiterated that police needed to get there now. At 3.40 a.m., 13 minutes after the call to 911, deputies finally arrived. 
Once there, deputies immediately asked Misty what happened. She said she put the kids to bed at around 8.15 p.m. They were both put in the king-size bed in the primary bedroom. Misty made sure to put Haley's blanket over her. She told them that Haley was wearing a pink Hannah Montana shirt and underwear when she was put to bed. Misty said she spent the next few hours watching movies and cleaning up. After 10 p.m., she made sure all the doors were locked and the lights were off, then she joined the kids in the king-size bed. Misty said she woke up at around 3 a.m. on what was now February 10th to get a drink of water. That's when she noticed the back door was propped open with a cinder block. When Misty went back into the bedroom, she realized Haley wasn't in bed. Misty couldn't believe Haley was gone because she hadn't heard anything prior to waking up at 3 a.m. Officers asked Misty why she didn't call 911 until right after Ron got home, and Misty said she had spent that time searching for Haley and also taking a shower. Of course, deputies immediately had several eyebrows raised. First of all, why would someone prop the door open with a cinder block? That's something you do to make sure you could get into a door that would automatically lock when it's closed. You know, something you would do if you wanted to rob a business. If someone came into their house, they'd have been able to get back out without using a cinder block. They just use the doorknob. And a shower? Who the fuck takes a shower when a five-year-old is missing? And a five-year-old who she claimed to 911 was her daughter. Deputies would have plenty of time to pick apart that mouthload of bullshit, but at that exact moment, they needed to focus on starting a large-scale search for Haley. Five hours is plenty of time to gain a hell of a lot of distance with a stolen five-year-old. Misty would be thoroughly questioned later. Several different law enforcement agencies were deployed and set up a perimeter around the neighborhood. The only goal was to find Haley. They used bloodhounds to search the ground and helicopters to search from above. The bloodhounds followed Haley's scent from the back door to the river. As we mentioned earlier, the river was only 400 yards away, but through some really dense woods. For a child who was afraid of the dark, it seemed like the last route she would have taken on her own. Nonetheless, boats were brought in to search the river. One investigator later told HLN that it's very difficult to find people in the St. John's River. While the water near the Cummings home is only a maximum of 30 feet deep, the river is wide and the tide runs through heavily. There are also a lot of alligators in the water. The investigator said the chances of finding someone in the river are very, very slim. Despite those odds, they had to at least try and find Haley. By 9.30 a.m., almost 12 hours after Misty says she last saw Haley, there was no sign of her anywhere. So an Amber Alert was issued and the FBI was brought in. Authorities told the media that it was too early to tell if a stranger kidnapped Haley or if she wandered out into the night. At that point, all they knew was that they had a missing little girl. While some teams of investigators searched for Haley, others were looking over the Cummings home and property with a fine-tooth comb. One thing immediately stood out to investigators. There was no sign of forced entry anywhere on the outside of the house. The only thing that seemed out of place was the back door area. This area was made up of two doors, a storm door on the outside, and a wooden door with a deadbolt on the inside. There was also a long wooden ramp that led up to it. 
The storm door was propped open with a cinder block while the wooden door was just open a few inches. There was a piece of clothing or something similar right against the cinder block that was propping the storm door open. Halfway down the ramp was Haley's blanket. Investigators looked over the block and realized it was covered in dirt. They asked Ron if he knew where the cinder block came from, but he had no idea. Investigators searched the dirt surrounding the home and realized the block had been partially buried near a water tank just off the side of the house. There was an impression left behind in the dirt from where the block had been. The dirt on the block was tested and found to be a match to the dirt on the ground. Investigators later sent the block off for DNA testing and were able to recover a small amount of touch DNA, but not enough to identify the owner. Besides the back door area, there was only one other thing that stood out outside of the home. Near the back door area were some parked cars. Investigators looked over the exterior of the cars and found the letters YRA had been drawn with a finger into some dirt. To this day, investigators have no idea where they came from or if they're even related to the case. Investigators also processed the inside of the Cummings home. They found some of Haley's blood on a small kid's mattress on the floor of the primary bedroom. This bed was located just a few feet away from the king-size bed that Misty said she slept with the kids in. In looking at photos of the room, it seems clear that this bed was set up for a child. When Misty said that both of the kids were in the adult bed, it definitely seemed odd. Nonetheless, the blood on the mattress was just a small smear, and investigators couldn't tell if it was from the night she disappeared or from an earlier time. The blood could have come from a nosebleed or a scraped knee for all they knew. Detectives kept their eyes, ears, and noses open and didn't notice the smell of any cleaner anywhere in the house. Just to play it safe, they sent the sink and shower drains from the bathrooms off for testing, since, you know, Misty took a shower. They did recover a small amount of blood from one of the drains, but it wasn't enough to make a match to anyone. By the end of their first day of searching, there was no sign of Haley or what might have happened to her. With that, her parents Ron and Crystal spoke to the media. Ron begged for the return of Haley while Crystal stood by him holding a portrait of her. Both were in tears. They would continue speaking to the media, pleading for Haley to come home. Ron and Crystal were ruled out as suspects in Haley's disappearance really quickly. Crystal was proven to be in Baker County the night of Haley's disappearance, and Ron was at work. He physically had to punch in and punch out. Throughout the years, investigators have maintained that they do not believe Ron or Crystal had anything to do with Haley's disappearance. The following day, February 11th, the investigation continued with 150 officers from 20 different agencies aiding in the search for five-year-old Haley Cummings. Checkpoints were set up at the entrance to the neighborhood and every vehicle in the area was searched. Again, there was no sign of Haley. Investigators also went door-to-door -door interviewing neighbors and searching for any evidence that Haley had wandered around, but no neighbors saw anything going on the night she disappeared, and there was nothing to suggest that Haley had been walking around the area. Detectives also interviewed family members again, and Misty did a walkthrough of the Cummings' house. This time, she told a different story about the night Haley disappeared. Instead of saying she put the kids in the king-size bed, Misty said she put Haley on the small mattress on the floor by herself. It was a small change in her story, but the difference between a child being taken from right beside her in the bed and a child being taken from a mattress across the room. 
And it was also just the beginning of a carousel of stories that would tumble out of Misty's mouth. Misty reiterated that she didn't hear anyone come in and take Haley. During the walkthrough video, Misty went to a pile of laundry near the back door and picked up a pink Hannah Montana shirt off the top. She told investigators, this is the shirt Haley had on when she went to bed. Misty then said that must mean Haley didn't have a shirt when she left the house. And investigators were having just about the same reaction you are. Misty had told them that Haley was wearing the shirt that was in the laundry the whole time, as if either the kidnapper put the laundry where it belongs or Haley decided to take it off and put it in the laundry before heading off into the dark, which she was terrified of. It should come as no surprise that that was the last time investigators spoke to 17-year-old Misty Croslin. Before the day was over, investigators announced that there was no indication Haley left the house and wandered away. They were officially treating her case as an abduction. On February 12th, the investigation into Haley's disappearance continued. Teams of investigators focused on physically searching five miles surrounding the Cummings' home. Other teams interviewed more than 40 sex offenders that lived within the same five-mile radius. All of the offenders were cleared as suspects. That same day, Misty spoke to News 4 Jax about how she discovered Haley was missing. She yet again wound up telling a different story than what she told investigators. This time, Misty said that at around 3 a.m., she got up to use the guest bathroom. But she never made it to the bathroom because she saw the light was on in the kitchen. Misty had turned the lights off before going to sleep, so she knew someone had to have turned them on. She went into the kitchen and saw the back door was open. Again, it's a subtle change, but an important one to note. Misty said she woke up to get a drink of water, not to use the bathroom, let alone the guest bathroom, as opposed to the one in her actual bedroom. Also, in her interview with News 4 Jax, Misty claimed that she had passed a polygraph, which was a straight-up lie. Investigators told HLN that Misty had not passed her polygraphs. In fact, she, quote-unquote, failed miserably each and every one of them. However, she repeated her erroneous claim in future interviews with the media. At that point, detectives were obviously suspicious of Misty. Although there was no sign of what happened to Haley, everything in their investigation kept coming back to her father's teenage girlfriend. She was the last person to see Haley, and her stories came and went with the sun. One investigator told News 4 Jax that he spent many, many hours interviewing Misty, and she never had the same story. The investigator also said it was a possibility that the crime scene was staged. The evidence at the house did not match up with a stranger abduction. There was no sign of forced entry to any parts of the home. Misty said she locked all the doors, and if that was true, how did the back door get opened? The biggest question of all had to be, how did someone get inside the house, kidnap Haley, then leave without anyone hearing a peep? It just didn't seem possible for multiple reasons. The storm door was made of aluminum, which was really loud. You might think that the cinder block was put in place to eliminate any sound it made when it was closed, but there's no way that door didn't make a noise when it was propped against the cinder block, let alone when it was opened in the first place. Furthermore, Haley was not shy. She was not quiet. Why didn't she make a sound when she was being kidnapped? Even if she was sleeping on the kid's bed a few feet away from Misty, it seemed unlikely that Misty would have slept through a kidnapping in the same room. 
All of that led investigators to believe that there was no stranger abduction at all, though they wouldn't tell the public about their suspicions for quite some time. They really didn't need to, though, because the media picked up on the inconsistency in Misty's stories pretty fast. Obviously, a lot of people questioned how truthful she was being about what happened to Haley, but Ron continued to stay by her side, saying she had nothing to do with it. On February 17th, a week after Haley went missing, authorities announced they were scaling back their investigation. Ground searches were going to stop unless a solid tip came in. The following day, February 18th, authorities told the media that they had received nearly 1,200 tips. They said that one of those tipsters claimed Misty didn't tell authorities the truth about where she was the night Haley disappeared. Misty had allegedly left the home late February 9th or early February 10th. Authorities said they were looking into this tip, and more tips about Misty's whereabouts on the night of Haley's disappearance continued to pour in. And rest assured, we will get back to that in a minute. On March 12th, nearly 100 deputies conducted further ground searches. Investigators said they didn't have any new information that led them to search the areas. They were just looking in places they hadn't before. While that was going on, Ron and Misty were busy getting married. If you feel like it's inappropriate to get married in the midst of an active investigation into your missing child, pretty much everyone agrees with you. The media confronted Misty about their decision, and I shit you not, Rip Van Winkle over there said the wedding was about Haley, that it was what she would have wanted. Haley was five. Investigators told HLN that they thought Ron may have married Misty for two reasons. One, because she was underage. He was worried charges would be pressed against him. And two, because he wanted to get info out of Misty. Maybe she'd be comfortable enough to tell him the truth if they were married. I also want to point out that Florida has spousal privilege, meaning a spouse can refuse to testify against their spouse in a criminal proceeding. You know, if the situation should arise. The day after their marriage, Ron and Misty went on NBC's Today Show. Ron said he doesn't want the media to focus on his personal life. He wanted them to focus on getting Haley's face out there, which is obviously a fair ask. During the interview, Misty was asked if she thought police considered her a suspect. She said no, and Ron immediately agreed, stating a detective told him she wasn't a suspect. He would continue standing up for her to the media. On March 20th, Ron retained an attorney after Haley's mother, Crystal, went on national television and accused him of being abusive. DCF ended up investigating the claims, and months later, the Orlando Sentinel reported that DCF closed the case with no findings of abuse. Ron maintained full custody of his and Crystal's son, Haley's little brother. Coverage of Haley's story continued to dwindle as the months passed. Investigators kept following tips and conducting ground searches as needed. At the end of June, investigators with cadaver dogs searched the Baker County farm where Haley's mother, Crystal, lived. The Ocala Star Banner reported that investigators hadn't received any tips that Haley was on the farm property. They were simply searching the area to be thorough. As expected, they didn't find anything. On August 17th, Haley's sixth birthday, investigators formally announced that they didn't believe a stranger had abducted Haley. For the first time ever, they publicly brought up their suspicions about Misty. They said she was not a suspect. However, they believed she, quote unquote, continues to hold important answers in the case. 
She has failed to provide any sort of detailed accounting of the hours during the late evening and early morning of Haley's disappearance. Furthermore, physical evidence at the scene contradicts Misty's sketchy account of her evening activities. Investigators noted that Haley's biological parents, Ron and Crystal, were not suspects. In September, a pond in southern Putnam County was searched. According to the Ocala Star Banner, investigators had received a tip that Misty might have taken Haley to a party on the night of her disappearance. While there, she ingested drugs and overdosed. When her death was discovered, Haley was taken to the pond and put in the water. The pond was drained, but they found nothing related to Haley's disappearance. With that, investigators were back to the drawing board. On October 7th, Ron went on Nancy Grace and announced that he and Misty were getting divorced. That lasted long. His attorney told the media the divorce was amicable. They both agreed it's time to move on. He said their life together is miserable under all the media scrutiny. Ron's attorney later told HLN that as the months passed and Haley wasn't found, Ron started questioning if Misty was lying about what she actually knew. And now he's catching up. Two days later, on October 9th, Misty went on CBS's The Early Show. She maintained her innocence, stating that those who suspect her should look elsewhere. She said Ron didn't think she was guilty and investigators had looked into her more than anyone else, yet she was never charged with anything. Before the interview was over, Misty said she suspected Crystal's family of being involved in Haley's disappearance. Misty didn't elaborate any further, and no one really pressed her on that statement. Following Misty's segment on CBS, Ron's attorney told the Orlando Sentinel that Misty's statement was absolutely ludicrous. He said that was stated merely for the purpose of deflecting attention away from her. On October 15th, Misty and Ron's divorce was finalized. Apparently in Florida, you can get a divorce in as little as 30 days if everyone agrees. Not long after that, investigators received a tip that Misty was trying to sell a large amount of pills. Seeing this as a leverage opportunity in Haley's case, law enforcement set up a sting that would take course over the next few months. The Orlando Sentinel reported that the sting ended up focusing on a small group of five people. Misty, her brother Tommy, Ron, damn it Ron, and two other people who are irrelevant to Haley's case. Investigators said Ron was not their main target. He ended up being collateral damage. During the sting, an undercover detective purchased a total of $3,900 worth of oxycodone and hydrocodone from members of the group. All five people were not present at every drug deal. Only one of them was there for every single deal. That person was Misty. She was the thread that tied them all together. On January 20th, 2010, all five people were arrested and charged with multiple counts of trafficking. Because Misty had been at each deal, she faced a higher number of charges. She was ultimately charged with eight counts of trafficking, while Ron was charged with five counts. They both faced a minimum of 25 years in prison. Tommy and the other co-defendants were charged with only one count each and faced between three and 15 years. Following the arrests, investigators immediately announced that these charges were totally unrelated to Haley's disappearance. Despite that, investigators said they would be questioning some of the defendants about Haley's disappearance just in case. 
Investigators later told HLN that they thought they would get a confession from Misty or possibly her brother about Haley's disappearance. They had the DA there ready to make a deal. Investigators told Misty and Tommy, tell us what's going on, we'll work with you. But it didn't work and none of them gave up any information. So investigators kept digging. February of 2010 marked one year since Haley disappeared. Investigators told the media that Haley's case was still considered an active investigation. They reiterated that Misty was not a suspect, however, they believe she knows more than she's letting on. Then, two months later in April, everything changed. Misty and Tommy started speaking to investigators in hopes of cutting a deal for the trafficking charges. Tommy said that at around midnight on the night of Haley's disappearance, he and his cousin Joe went to the Cummings home. They were looking for a World War II era machine gun to deer hunt, only in America. The gun wasn't there, which should be an even bigger question, but it wasn't, so they apparently took Haley instead, which makes absolutely no fucking sense. He said she was screaming as they put her in a black bag. Joe and Tommy then drove Haley, who was now limp and quiet, to a St. John's River boat ramp located north of Wallaca, which is just a few miles south of the Cummings home. He said they attached a concrete block with a rope to Haley, then put her in the water and left. Tommy said he never told Misty about what they did with Haley. Misty told a similar story, stating that she hid under the covers with Haley's brother when the attack happened. She remembered hearing a van door slide open and close and a black bag or something placed over Haley's head. She didn't know what happened next. Investigators told HLN that following these confessions, they truly believed that they were getting to the bottom of the case. They had hoped that they would finally find Haley. After processing all of that, investigators interviewed Joe. It's unclear what was said during that interview, but I'm pretty sure Joe maintained his innocence the entire time. When they were done interviewing Joe, investigators spent three days searching the St. John's River near the boat ramp Tommy mentioned in his story. Investigators were so confident that they were going to find Haley in the river that they told the public, over the past few weeks, information has been obtained by investigators that leads them to believe Haley Cummings is most likely deceased. They said it was a very real possibility that Haley died within their search area. They didn't elaborate further on what led them to search that area specifically, but we know now that it was Misty and Tommy. Before the search was over, investigators escorted Misty to the river. They wanted to see if she would break and tell them anything, and while she was there, she cried, and investigators thought they were getting somewhere, but they were wrong. Detectives later told News 4 Jax that on the way back to jail, Misty told them, never mind, I'm not telling the truth. She had lied about the whole story involving Tommy and Joe. Tommy would later admit he made up the story, hoping to get leniency for him and Misty. Let that sink in. They thought that admitting to kidnapping Haley, putting her in a bag, and throwing her into a river after not being able to find a World War II era machine gun was the story that would get them leniency. Whatever the truth is just got a whole lot more terrifying. Misty and Tommy hadn't just lied to officials, they'd raised the hopes of Haley's family and the investigators working her case. Furthermore, they ruined Joe's life over the false accusations. He told the media that he had lost most of his family because they thought he had something to do with Haley's disappearance. 
The following month, Florida Today reported that Ron was negotiating a plea deal for a 15-year sentence in exchange for testifying for the state in future cases involving the drug counts or Haley's disappearance. Ron would later go through with this deal and was sentenced to serve 15 years. Misty and her brother ended up pleading no contest to their charges. Misty was sentenced to 25 years while her brother was given 15. The other co-defendants were also sentenced to 15 years. Months after Misty was sentenced, she granted a jailhouse interview with the Orlando Sentinel. She was back to her original story that she fell asleep with Haley and her brother in the room. When she woke up, she realized Haley was missing. Misty maintained that she didn't have anything to do with Haley's disappearance, saying, I'm not the key to this at all, because if I knew something, they would have known it from day one. I just don't understand why they keep saying this about me. And I don't know, maybe it's because you said you hid under the covers while someone put a black bag or something over Haley. After telling the police you'd just woken up to get water and she was gone, or was it when you woke up to use the guest bathroom instead of your own? Misty blamed Ron's risky lifestyle as a drug dealer for Haley's disappearance. Mind you, she was literally in jail for drugs. She said that after Haley disappeared, a stranger approached Ron and told him the Mexicans have her which sounds racist. Misty didn't know the man or his connection to Ron. All she knew was that Ron owed money to people who supported his drug habit. Misty suggested maybe they kidnapped Haley for ransom, which makes a ton of sense. Also, the last sentence was a lie. If he couldn't afford his own drugs, why would they think he could afford a ransom? And how did they get Haley without waking you up? But let's continue. Misty also said she received a letter and photo from a man who said he had recently seen Haley in Kentucky. Following their interview with Misty, the Orlando Sentinels spoke with authorities about the case. They said they still strongly believe Misty had the information that could show how and when Haley went missing. They said Misty was withholding information. After the Sentinel's interview with Misty was published, the dust settled on the trafficking case and the reporting on Haley's story became stagnant. In February of 2013, four years after Haley went missing, investigators released an age progression photo of what Haley would look like at eight years old. They did the same thing in 2016, this time with what Haley would look like at age 12. By the 10-year anniversary in 2019, Haley's case was still open, but it had gone cold. News 4 Jack spoke with two former detectives who had worked on Haley's case. The original lead detective said there was nothing at the scene that indicated any type of foul play. He has a difficult time believing anyone snuck into the house and kidnapped Haley without anyone noticing. Both detectives said they agree that Haley was not taken by a stranger. They mentioned that multiple people came forward claiming Haley was seen at a party hours before she was reported missing. The former lead detective theorized, I think that somebody gave the child some drugs or the child got some drugs accidentally and she died and people panicked and had to get rid of the body. Unfortunately, detectives were never able to gather enough information to prove that theory or any others. In the fall of 2022, Haley's case had a resurgence in the media when Ron was released from prison. He said he was looking forward to continuing the search for Haley. Unfortunately, before the end of the year, Ron was arrested on a litany of other charges unrelated to Haley's case. Misty remains incarcerated with her scheduled release date in June of 2031. 
Sadly, that's the last update we have on Haley's case. There is a ton of wild and dramatic bullshit that has been all over the damn place when it comes to this case, but I chose not to include it because while a lot of the attention has been on the adults in her life, I want to bring it back to Haley before we end this episode. Haley Ann Marie Cummings was absolutely adored by everyone who met her. Her beaming smile legitimately lit up every room she was in, and she loved everything girly. From makeup to nail polish, purses, you name it, she was a sweet, innocent child who is deeply missed by everyone. When five-year-old Haley was discovered missing on February 10th, 2009, she was between three feet and three foot three inches tall and weighed 39 pounds. Haley is Caucasian with blonde hair and brown eyes. She has a four-inch round birthmark on the lower left side of her back and two birthmarks on her face, one on her left cheek and one on her right jawline. If you have any tips, please contact the Putnam County Sheriff's Office at 1-888-277-8477. There is a $15,000 reward available. For all photos pertaining to this case, check out Haley's highlight at the top of my Instagram profile at the Heather Ashley and join me on TikTok tonight at the Heather Ashley at 8.30 p.m. Eastern, where you go live with me and we talk about Haley's case and all other true crime cases on your mind. If you love the podcast, feel free to leave a review. It absolutely makes my day every single time. And if you have a case you'd like to hear covered, share it with Big Mad True Crime on social media because all cases are covered by listener request. I'll be bringing you a brand new case next week, and I cannot wait. But until then, we out.